0: Hello and welcome to The Point of Everything. My name is Ono Sullivan, and today's guest on the podcast is Marlene Enright. You might know her from a band called The Hard Ground but what we talk about on the podcast is her debut solo effort, Placemats and Second Cuts. It's just out, independently released and it's pretty great, if I do say so. So The Hard Ground have kind of taken a bit of a hiatus and Marlene is doing her own thing. She spent most of 2016 Uh, recording the album and it's just released out at the end of March and she's currently touring it, well, depending on when you listen to the podcast. She's at the Spirit Store in Dundalk on April 5th, she's in Whelan's in Dublin on April 6th, Dolan's in Limerick April 7th, Collins in Cork on April 13th and St John's Theatre in Lestow on April 28th. So the day before she released the album, so Thursday, March 23rd, I got to sit down for about an hour and chat to Marilyn about just the recording of the album, how she kind of got to the stage where she felt comfortable actually doing her own thing and releasing her own solo album and all of the stuff that's surrounding that. We talk about Jack O'Rourke and his impact on her own uh, songwriting I suppose, or, or just seeing his rise uh, over the past year or two in Irish music and just kind of being like, oh yeah, I like, I could do that. I could, you know, I can, I can make this thing for myself. So we talk about all that and yeah, hopefully you'll find the chat entertaining. I really enjoyed talking about it. We, And yeah, we do, we do recommend some uh, movies and films that you can catch on Netflix if that's the only reason why you're listening to The Point of Everything, which I can't imagine it is. But if you stick around right to the end of the podcast, we we make a couple of recommendations. So yeah, check out Placemats and Second Cuts. And if you need convincing, you can listen to Marlene talk about it in just a moment after a couple of plugs. At TPOE blog, if you want to tweet me, uh, The Point of Everything on Facebook, thepointofeverything.com. If you want to email me and say, you're a terrible interviewer, what are you doing? You should have asked her this, you should have asked her that. So thanks. And you can subscribe and rate the podcast five stars, please, on iTunes or you can subscribe on SoundCloud or wherever else you listen to podcasts. So that's enough of my rambling. This is me rambling and trying to get some questions out to Marlene Enright. So, a day out from your debut album release, you must be like, are you really excited or are you, are you like, I can't even think about this, I'm too busy?
1: Um, No, I am excited. I, I think when it comes to things like this, like it feels in a weird way... Like a bit of an anticlimax, because, and I probably shouldn't say that, but it, it's sort of like you, you spend months doing loads of work on it, and then the day comes, and in many ways, like, unless you're Beyonce or something, There's no, it's not like you're being driven around doing a lot of press appearances or anything, yeah. you know, it's like it just, you know, it's out there and that's it. Then you kind of have to leave it fly, see how it goes.
0: Well, but, I don't know, you're getting a lot of good coverage, you know, four stars in the Irish Times yeah, no, there last great. week. Yeah. I mean, the Cork Beyonce,
1: you know, <laughs> I don't know. Somebody don't have her moves in there, that's for sure. (laughs) Two left feet.
0: Don't break them out on stage. No, that's (laughs) not part of the performance yet. (laughs) No,
1: thankfully Gemma's on these gigs and she's awesome at that stuff, so she (laughs) might.
0: (laughs) So like the album is, I mean, it seems like you started writing it or you wrote the first song back in like October 2015, but does it kind of go further back than that as well? Like actually just to writing songs, like with the end goal of like, I want to release an album under my own name.
1: Yeah, actually, you know that's a good question. Um, I suppose ever before myself and Pat started doing stuff for the hard ground, I like I was writing away m- material for a good while, just singing and playing it myself. And I did record a few songs, actually, probably eight or nine years ago. jeez, oh, it could even be more in a studio and truly. And I never released them. They. They just kind of, I spent a few days down there and I had intended on releasing them, but then we kind of got rolling with the hard ground stuff. So I kind of put my own stuff on hold for a while. So it was always something that was in my mind to do. It wasn't necessarily just out of the hard ground, you know. I guess I always knew I wanted to put something out there on my own. Um, so yeah, I suppose it did start much. L- further back than October 15. Um, But in terms of writing the material that I wanted to put on my own album, I suppose that was really only about two years ago, two and a half years ago that I started doing that. You know, like I would lots of ideas of things saved on my phone, like hundreds of little kind of clips of stuff. And I kind of knew in my head I'd save certain ones for me because I knew they weren't suiting or they wouldn't suit the hard ground. Style, so I'd kind of save them and come back to them. So, yeah, it's been something that's been in my mind to do for a while, but I guess really only actively when the Hard last album triptych kind of that was done and dusted, and then I kind of properly started to focus on it, you know.
0: Um, do you find it weird like listening back to those little things on your phone? You're like, oh, okay, I suppose it's that time of the week where I have to listen to this stuff and you know, see if there's anything good there,
1: yeah, like. Sometimes I'll only listen back to them if if I, if I kind of have nothing current going on, if that makes sense. Like if I sit down to write something and nothing's coming for a few days or weeks, I listen back to them. And then some of them are awful. So I delete them. Or actually, I don't always delete them, but I just kind of <laughs> cringe and go on. Yeah. <laughs> and then some of them you do find like little nuggets of things. You're like, oh, I'd forgotten about that. And it could be from like two years ago. But it could be a melody that you'll like, kind of remember instantly. And you'll remember where you are when you came up with it, you know. Um, but they're they're definitely useful to listen back to, you know. And it's good to have them stored. I think to be honest, I think most people who write songs probably have that yeah. a little bank of stuff that they can tap into.
0: So, like, do you kind of experience writing block? Is it when you're when you're like trying to write a song? Is it just sitting down and you're like, nah, it's not coming after like go back and listen to these things on my phone.
1: Yeah, well, do you know what? I think it mainly is, if if you were writing, like if songwriting was your full-time job for the want of a better word, I suppose it doesn't really feel like a job in many ways. But if, if it's all I was doing, I think maybe I wouldn't experience blocks so much because you'd have, you'd be doing it so regularly that you'd be bound to come out with stuff regularly, with songs regularly. But I think when, you know, like like most musicians and bands, like you're working outside of it and it's not like you've all your time to dedicate to it either. So when you do decide, okay, I, w- I want to write some songs now, they don't just come out because you haven't been doing it. Maybe like you could go through a few weeks or months without sitting down to do it. And then when you do sit down to do it, it it's not like the first thing that comes into your head will be good. So I, I suppose it's like anything. It's like pra- like you do have to practice it. And if you, it's like exercise. If you go back to it after not being doing it for a while, you'll be crap, you know. So it'll take a few weeks to get back into it again. Um, it's kind of like a muscle that does have to be exercised. Um, and yeah, like it is something that I think if you were doing on a very regular basis, you'd you'd be pushing out stuff all the time because yeah. I'm not, unfortunately, <laughs> you know.
0: Do you set aside time like during the week too? Right, you probably don't now because you're so busy but like yeah. when you were kind of writing the album.
1: Oh, definitely, yeah. Like I try a lot of evenings after work. Like, you know, if I came home, I'd definitely do an hour or two or more. It kind of depends, you know. I, I suppose it just depends on the week, you know. Certain things take priority some weeks but I always try to do... A few evenings or a few mornings before work, or whatever, um, uh, songwriting because it does like it doesn't feel like it's sure. Like I love doing it, but it's kind of like anything. Sometimes the things you love doing get pushed down to the bottom of the list. Sometimes because <laughs> life can kind of like feel like that. Sometimes you often end up prioritizing other things because they feel more pressing at a given time. Because you know other people are depending on you for certain things, whereas songwriting is just for me. And often the things that are just for you, you kind of they just end up at the bottom of the priority list sometimes, which is silly, <laughs> but it happens. <laughs> yeah, but if only you could just
0: make loads of money just doing the things that you yeah. love all the time. Yeah, exactly. Um, the album sounds like it's kind of heavy. I have uh, the quote here from the, uh, just saying that it's like a reflective album. That it's more of, more self-reflective than you initially realised, and it's kind of about self-doubt, dancing the fine line between feeling comfortable in your own skin and feeling totally lost at sea, indecisiveness, the battle between strength and weakness, passion and apathy, belonging and isolation and self-acceptance. Sounds like it's a pretty heavy,
1: pretty heavy. <laughs> Jeez, when you read that back like that knows. <laughs> did did I say both. that?
0: But um, yeah, like you say that kind of with hindsight, you realized all that. So like when you're writing, are you just trying to just trying to make sense of stuff? Or how does it all, how does it all happen?
1: Yeah, do you know, I suppose when you, like, when I go to write something, it usually starts with, and I actually, I think I've spoken to a few people about this. This tends to be the way for a lot of people, I think, is that it, you start with the melody, or, you you know, you'll have an idea for a melody and the chords, and you, like, for me, in a way, I, I just start singing, like, syllables and random words over that because i like the sounds of them they don't necessarily make any sense so then I- the lyrics always come last the actual lyrics and sometimes like the lyrics are dictated by the phrase or the the sound like i like the sound of certain words so like that'll kind of i don't know i suppose that puts a structure to songs but I'm actually losing my train of thought. What was the question? <laughs> well, look, it was it was about how
0: heavy you get with your songwriting, really. <laughs> okay.
1: God, sorry, I went rambling there. <laughs> I'm really sorry about that. Um, Yeah, I guess when you're writing or when I'm writing, I don't always realise what I'm saying, you know, even when it comes to the lyric side of it. I do to a certain degree. Like, it's not like these things just pour out. Like, they are thought about and they are, like they take me quite a while to write the lyrics because I, you know, I like to tweak them and make sure that they're saying what they need to say and that I'm, you know, that it's me. Um, And I like trying to find different ways of saying things maybe that, like, aren't so straight up and obvious, like finding colours that convey certain emotions or... I don't know, a lot of the songs are based around sentiment as opposed to actual scenarios, you know. Um, but often, I think when you're writing them, you're you are writing them about how you're feeling at a certain time. But you mightn't be altogether aware that you're feeling that way. <laughs> I know that probably sounds a bit strange, but it's a few months later, a few months down the line, when I kind of look back on them, they make a lot more sense than then they do in the moment. Right, yeah. Because, like, I think I might have said that before in something that, like, hindsight can often just bring clarity to situations. You know, you can kind of be quite... I find if, if I'm feeling particularly foggy at a certain time when I'm writing songs, like, they come out and, yeah, I, I know what they're about, but it's a few months down the line that I really know where they came from, you know.
0: Do you find it kind of cathartic Uh, working through like those certain scenarios that you're talking about through the songwriting like at the time that it's happening
1: yeah well i certainly feel like it's therapeutic yeah you know um like there's i don't know i guess in a way it's almost like it's like the way exercise makes you feel better or like I don't know, meditation makes people feel better. Sometimes I think songwriting makes me feel better, even if it temporarily makes you feel worse because you're sorting through a few things (laughs) or realizing a few things. I, in a way I, I, it is a bit like a therapy session with yourself sometimes <laughs> <laughs> but maybe you're not always divulging everything either because you bore people to tears if you doing that <laughs> so you just kind of keep some of it back
0: <laughs> is is that something that you just kind of have gotten just from you know your years with the hard ground and write like you were the co- co-writer with pat yeah carry on that is that just you've just become more confident as a songwriter through all of that stuff
1: I guess, yeah, like, you know, again, it does come down to, like, practice, and I know that sounds like a a very practical way to look at something like that, but, you know, like, songwriting is like any other skill that people have, or, you know, something that people do, you know, if you want to get good at it, you have to do more of it, and I'm not saying I'm good at it, but I, I love doing it now, and, like, I think from from years of doing it with the hard ground, that was really good practice. And in a way, like this time around for my own stuff, maybe I was more confident to be a bit more honest lyrically. Whereas I think before everything was like, I don't know, cryptic or something. With higher ground. Yeah, yeah, maybe it wasn't altogether clear to know what a song was about. Whereas maybe it's a little bit clearer on this album.
0: I guess that only comes with hindsight as well. Afterwards, like you're like, oh, maybe could have done that a little bit clearer or something.
1: Yeah, it's actually something my mum always said to me. She's like, I don't know what any of those songs are. about. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Your harshest critic, I presume.
1: <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs>
0: um, so what's the story with the hard ground now? Are they kind of like on a hiatus or over or done? or
1: We're just on a break, really. Do you know what? It, it hasn't been discussed in a way because like, we're all like we're all really good friends. But also, like, when Triptych came out at, say, our last gig was probably Electric Picnic in 2015. And Pat is working in the opera house now, and I got a job as well around the same time. And I, in a way, because that project went on so long, because we released it in three sections. Like, it was brilliant, but I think it kind of took a good bit out of us. So Mm. it was kind of nice to have a break and actually just have jobs where... We got a bit of money and we weren't like one hundred percent broke all the time. <laughs> so there was a bit of that, that that needed to be done. Um and it was it was good to take a break from it. But maybe after this we'll do something. I don't really know yet. I don't we haven't fully discussed it. <laughs> so that's it. I'll be listening to this be like, what? <laughs> no <We're> but, finished. <laughs> no, no, definitely no, definitely not finished. No, that's that's for sure. But no, like because I love singing with passion. It's always really good crack on tour and everything, you know. Um God the amount of stories that we had, like things always kinda went wrong in the funniest way of ways. Go, go on. <laughs> or oh, like the van broke down like all the time and oh just stupid things. I can't even think of everything now, but like oh just like hilarious stuff. Like we'd end up playing some really hilariously shit games. <laughs> in the middle of nowhere that we get like paid nothing for and oh just (laughs) (laughs) but they were always hilarious you know it was always really funny like Like, playing to
0: one man and his dog (laughs) Yeah.
1: yeah yeah we ended up doing a folk festival in somewhere about an hour outside London I forget the name of the town now um I think it was yeah it was that summer just before yeah, summer 2015 as well. And we ended up having to just fly over there for the day and fly back. Because, I don't know, we thought it'd be a good idea to do, like, months before it. And then it came around and, like, the flights are really dear. <laughs> like, none of it was actually in any way, like, it just made no sense to do. But we did it and it was just gas. It rained for the whole thing. There was about 30 people in front of the stage. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> well, I suppose it's like a good experience. so for your solo stuff now, you're kind of like, OK, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to make that mistake. I mean, I suppose that every band has this list of like terrible gigs that they've played and oh, everything.
1: Oh, totally. Yeah. And I know if we did do anything with the hair ground again, we'd probably know what not to do as well, you know. But um, yeah, all those things, in fairness, like even if, you know, if they're not worthwhile doing they're always they make for funny stories like they're the kind of things you actually look back on and think are hilarious so like you know <laughs> so.
0: yeah so electric picnic was the last show 2015
1: yeah that i think that was our last was, gig, that, was yeah. that
0: was that a good show that was that all made sense and yeah, everything yeah <laughs> no
1: that was brilliant actually that was probably one of our best gigs it was great it was in the body and soul area which is actually my favorite area of electric picnic anyway and it was in that stage um so it was lovely and it was a nice slot. I think we were on just before Natalie Prass as well, who's Ooh. one of my favourite people at the moment. I think she's brilliant. So that was pretty cool and stayed on to watch her afterwards. So yeah, it was a great gig, good weekend.
0: So if I have my, my timings all correct, that was the start of September 2015 thereabouts end of august start of start of september and then you play a support slot for jack o'rourke then the next month was that um something that you had already decided or was that last minute that you were asked to play and like did you feel weird kind of like going under like marlene enright rather than like
1: the hard Um, grounder no i think well do you know what i'm really good friends with jack and i suppose we would always have done gigs together down through the years like i've we put on maybe a gig or two every year before Jack started doing his own stuff as well, where we'd just get a load of songs that we both loved and sang them together. So it, it wouldn't have been unusual for me and him to do something together. But to be honest, like for um for that gig, I ended up just singing mainly songs that I had wrote for the Hargrounds so like pucker and 2 by 2 and stuff like that and then one or two covers and that one song shiny that i had managed to just finish i think the night before <laughs> so um
0: was it was that like written with the deadline of the support gig in mind can you remember
1: um i actually had bits of it written for a while it was like i i think i'd been working on it kind of throughout the summer but yeah i finished it cuz like it, it wasn't i mean it was it wasn't like the support gig was kind of a, a big looming deadline or anything. But I suppose it's always nice to have a reason to finish something. So I, I did finish it because I wanted to be able to play it on that gig, you know, just even try it out and see if anybody liked it. And, you know, um, so, yeah, I finished it the night before, just about <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> scraped it together.
0: <laughs> um, and like, did you know then that you were going to do the solo stuff that you were going to, you know, spend 2016 kind of in the recording studio? Um, or in the writing?
1: Yeah, like, to be honest, I kind of knew after that album that, like, I wanted to just... I think we all maybe needed a little break from from working on it so consistently, and we all wanted to do other things, so that was one of the things I wanted to do, and I had kind of decided that, like, during that summer, really, I suppose, um, that I'd do it for certain, so... Like I had that within my well, I suppose it was yeah. In I don't I'm not a great planner, but it w- I knew that w- it was on the cards for 2016, and I did book recording time then with Christian for January, so I knew I had that booked. April November or sorry not October November, 15 and yeah, it kind of went from there. Like I started with two songs in January. I recorded them January 2016. And then I didn't record again until, actually I finished a few things in a few parts of those songs in March, but then I didn't record the rest of the album until July 16. So.
0: It sounds like you've got a good kind of cable of friends around you as well, like the guys mm. in the hard ground, Christian, you record with Brendan Fennessy from yeah. O Emperor as yeah. well, and just having Jack O'Rourke too. Is it yeah. just good to have this circle of musicians kind of like, ideas off of and, and stuff. Oh
1: definitely yeah do you know I'm really lucky like you kind of forget sometimes because they're all your friends but you forget how great they all are you know at what they do and I guess like Davy and Hugh like they have their full-time musicians like this is kind of what they do and they they do a lot of recording sessions as well with oh, okay. people so like that's something they're doing more and more of. And I guess that experience definitely helped when, say, when I went into the studio then. um, And in fairness, that's another skill to learn, I guess. You know, the first time you went to the studio, you haven't a clue really <laughs> what to do or what to even ask for in your, you know, in your cans or like, you know, there's all these little things that you kind of learn down through the years. And it, like it was good to have all that done a few times before I went to do this. Myself because I I think I had a clearer idea of what I wanted it to sound like. But the guys have been great to bounce ideas off, like, and Jack is brilliant, like, he's a very good friend, and we have kind of a similar outlook on things, I suppose, and how we write and stuff. And he's always great to bounce ideas off of. In fact, he's like, he's been really good to even write a blurb for me because you know when you can't just write anything about yourself because it's just too weird you know you can't be writing positive things about yourself to send to media like your actual biography (laughs) yeah stuff like that so jack was really good at those so most of the stuff you see on my website has been written by
0: jack (laughs) it must be mad kind of to see his uh kind of rise as well over like Mm. where did you support him in october 2015
1: it was in the white horse
0: white horse yeah yeah, in balancolic so and then l- late last year, he like headlined the Opera House was it for the jazz festival
1: It was the Everyman The Everyman He had his own gig yeah that was where are we now? So that was October. that was for his album launch. Actually. Yeah sold out the Everyman. sold out the Everyman. It yeah. must be
0: mad just to kind of yeah. watch that and to see all that.
1: Oh, it's brilliant, like and he's selling out gigs all over the country now, you know, in places that I think an awful lot of us have really struggled to bring a crowd, you know, towns that, you know, they're not exactly like hubs of music, but they have these lovely little music venues, but they can maybe be be a bit more difficult to get a crowd to, like Jack is selling out those kind of venues, and it's great, I think he really deserves it, because he's worked really hard in it, and you know, he's been performing for like 15 years or more, and I don't know just he's probably been writing songs for longer than that you know and he's just he's a very talented guy like he has his own style i don't think he sounds like anybody else in ireland and he doesn't write like anybody else in ireland so he's um yeah i think it's great delighted for him
0: must be reassuring as well that you know someone like so close that is being able to sell out these venues and stuff and you're like it's not like an unattainable goal. It's just kind of having, I don't know, the right formula maybe.
1: That's true. Yeah, that's very true. Um, It's great to see, yeah. And in fairness, I think it's great for the Cork music scene as well. I think it's like really alive at the moment, you know. I think it has been for years, but I think there's something really extra great about it these days. It's like there's a real sense of um community, I think, when it comes to the Cork music scene. Like people are very much rooting for each other. You know, there's never any, I never feel like there's any sense of competition or anything. People just want people to do well. Because if they do well, it's a really good sign, you know, that, you know, this is actually achievable for any of us. Well, you know, it depends. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, you would hope that it is for all of us. Um. But, yeah, no, it was, it's brilliant to see him do so well. And, yeah, the fact that he is such a good friend, I think, you know, it makes it better again, you always want to see your friends do well and he, he does really deserve it
0: And so going back to the recording studio then in um, 2016 did you enjoy the experience of kind of being in there uh, like under your own name or did you find the process just so long, like I think that it was kind of 10 months or so of recording which sounds to me like, like oh my god be, I'd, I'd hate it I think yeah. but I'm not a musician so <laughs>
1: Well, I think if it was a solid 10 months of recording, I'd probably have lost my mind, <laughs> to be honest. Well, you know <laughs> you what I mean. Being inside your head for that long. As Beyonce, <laughs> you know. Um, no, like what, like what actually happened was I did um, three days, two days, actually, in January, early January 2016. And then I did another two days in March. And that was two songs completed um, so that was when the water was hot. When the water is hot. I always <laughs> get the title of my own song wrong for and that. The water was hot. <laughs> when the water was hot. And we didn't uh, touch on the immersion. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so that song and Underbelly, they were the ones that I recorded with Christian. So they were done like over four days, recorded and mixed, and uh, I sent them off to be mastered. So you're never really around for the mastering, they just get sent off. In this case, it was to Rory O'Flaherty. Um. so, yeah, like that, I had those done across two months of so that. Like, you know, it's very easy to fit in around what you do. Like, I suppose it was maybe daunting putting out the first single because it was, you know, even like setting up a Facebook page under your own name and oh, right. all these little things that you kind of have to do at the start and the website and all of that. Like, I suppose in a way, that's maybe the most... Not nerve wracking, but uh, you know you'd be a bit apprehensive about it because it's a kind of more of a public, um, a public display of here I am doing something, you know, um. But then I put out the first song, and that went down pretty well. Like, um, and then Underbelly came out in May, but that had been finished in March, so it was just a case of waiting for a time to put it out. And But then I didn't um, record the rest of the album until June, and we spent seven days in June at my own house. Um, so Brendan actually set up a little studio, a home studio in her house for the week. Um, wow. So that was a slightly different experience, I guess, because I always love recording. With Christian, he's brilliant. But I guess I wanted to just try something at home. I kind of felt maybe I might feel more comfortable at home, and... Um, and it was just something I had wanted to try for a while. So uh, Brendan has kind of a um, mobile, he can move around his his gear and everything. So um, it was great. He set up for the week and we did a week salad there. And we did another two days with him, I think, in August. And then that was, it finished, really. Apart from like a few kind of tweaking sessions and stuff, you know. Um, so it wasn't ten months to record. <laughs> <laughs> if I had like a million euro, I'd love to do that <laughs> but
0: <laughs> um that sounds cool setting up a studio at your house. Was yeah. it just like just a spare bedroom or something like that with good acoustics or
1: well, actually we're like where we're living, we've kind of a weird lease in that um we rent our house for 10 months and then we have to move out for two months in the summer. <laughs> so because of that, our rent, like for the house that we have, it's like, it's a pretty, like it's a three bed house and it's a good size. But because of that kind of, um, that awkwardness of having to move out, the rent is kind of good. So, <laughs> so we're lucky we have quite, um, quite a good size house for, for not crazy rent. And um, we like, there was a few rooms that we can use. Uh, so the control room was set up in a front room and I was in there with the keyboard and the vocals and the bass. So while she was also in, oh, no, he wasn't. No, it was just me in there. Sorry. And then in the sitting room, the drums and the bass were set up. And then upstairs, he was on the landing. <laughs> so we like wires like Brendan everywhere. was on the landing. Uh, Hugh on guitar. Yeah, it was on the landing. So Wow. <laughs> yeah. It's
0: a uh, surround sound.
1: Yeah. So he was playing on the landing, but the amp was in the spare room. So, yeah, I was gas. <laughs> that sounds <laughs> mad. Yeah. And I recorded the vocals of one of the songs in the bathroom. I was thinking you were going to yeah. say the bathroom. All right. Yeah. <laughs> actually, it's for, um. there's a hidden track on the album. It's really not so hidden. You'll find it pretty <laughs> easily. But it's the vocals for that song that I recorded in the bathroom. And there's a video to go with it as well. So
0: in the bathroom, <laughs>
1: in the bathroom, <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, and so that was finished, uh, kind of, when did you say, Septemberish?
1: Um Yeah, actually, I think it was the end of August it was finished. Like, the recording was finished. So then the mixing started. Oh, okay. But that took quite a while then, because, you know, like, the mixing phase, I suppose, in many ways, is the most tedious. Because that's where you really decide... I suppose, on effects that you want to use, if any, or, you know, the, how you position or how you treat things, you know, like, that's kind of where it maybe comes into its own. So the record, like, the actual recording has to be good to start with and that maybe takes the longest, like, physically, but the mixing, I guess, is where like Christian mixed the the album then. um, So, yeah, it's a very tedious process, like, I don't know how anybody does it. Fair play to them. Like, it takes so Anyone much patience. Album. Yeah. Well, no, a mixing engineer. Like, it's so detailed and it requires, I'd say, an awful lot of concentration, something that I just don't have in <laughs> <laughs> bucket loads. Um, so, yeah, that took a few months, actually, because, you know, every song you really have to kind of listen to. So Kristen might do a mix and then you listen to it and write notes, but you're really listening in detail not in a way that somebody might just put on a song and listen. I suppose because it's your own, you have to you have to really focus on what you're listening to and write out notes and say, okay, this is cool, or maybe can we change this to whatever. So that was kind of, that was over and back for probably nearly two months, I'd say. And then it was finished by, I think it was finished by the end of October, early November. Yeah.
0: And then you just kind of have to wait until the release, like five, uh, five months later.
1: Yeah, there, Yeah. well, it takes, probably takes a good while for, probably took about a month for it to be printed. So I had the, the actual hard copies just before Christmas um, of the CD. So I'll hopefully get it on vinyl as well. I just have to save up for it. <laughs>
0: um, uh, you're, play- you're probably playing a load of gigs throughout the year as well, were you?
1: Yeah, actually, um, it was great in fairness from... From about August onwards, I actually did a good lot of support gigs. Um, I did a lot, actually, for uh, Jan Bleck. He asked me to support him on some of his solo album tour. So they were brilliant because, do you know, I think if I was heading into my gigs now and it was the first time I was kind of getting on stage in ages and, you know, it was the first time I had sang the songs live, I think I'd be a lot more nervous. Whereas now I know I have, like... 20 or 30 support gigs under my belt over the last few months that like the thoughts of getting up on stage and having to interact with the audience and stuff like something that I wouldn't have done a huge amount before to be fair with the Harga and it was mainly Pat that did that and it would have been something I would have been quite shy about but when you're just up there on your own with no band even behind you kind of forces you into it and you do get a bit better I still wouldn't be great now with the chats, <laughs> um, but hopefully, hopefully that'll be something that. Well, yeah, now now
0: you've got like how many is it? Two, four, six, seven headline shows coming up. I mean, by the end of it, you know, you'll be like, I don't know, you'll you be me like, to shut me Spre- up. I'll just Bruce keep talking,
1: three hour gigs. <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh, yeah, that's it sounds. Uh, sounds like it's gonna be an exciting couple of weeks for you as well.
1: Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it now. Do you know, like. Cause uh, tomorrow night's gig um in the White Horse is like the the first full band gig that we'll have done. So we did one a few weeks ago in Levis and Ballody Hub, and that was a four piece, but it was very much stripped back. Like Davy was on um an electronic kind of drum kit. It's a it's kind of a module thing. So it had a different sound. Whereas tomorrow night it's full kit and bass, backing vocals, guitar. You know, it's it's the full band and. It, it's the first one out, so I'm yeah, I'm a bit nervous, like obviously, but it'll be good. I'm I am really looking forward to it. And it'll be nice to play Wheelands and Dublin again, and because it's been a while since I played there, and you know, like lots of nice venues coming up, St John's and Lestole actually will be cool.
0: And it, the the setlist presumably will be like completely flipped around from like that first support slot for Jack O'Rourke, where you only played one. Yeah. Of your own songs. Now it's probably gonna be like ninety five percent your own songs and maybe like one or two covers, I presume, or yeah, something like
1: that. That's it. I think I have fifteen songs in the set. Um and I've two covers. So I'm actually playing a song that didn't make it onto the album either. We recorded and it was mixed and everything, and then I don't know, for some reason it just didn't I didn't really love it by the end. <laughs> I kinda thought it was just I don't know, something didn't sit right. But It's good fun to play live at the same time. So we're going to play that one. So that'll be kind of fun, you know.
0: And so it's an independent release. And so again, does that just kind of teach you everything that you need to know?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Because I guess you end up having to do all the bits around a release that, you know, maybe in other scenarios, a label might take care of for you or a manager, you know, different People, thankfully this time I have, um, I have support in that I have like a PR company working on it for me because to be honest that side of it is very labor intensive and also I think it would be very hard to approach media publicizing yourself I think when we did it with the hard ground ourselves there was a degree of separation because you're promoting a band name but I just, I think it's always good to have somebody else do that for you. So I'm glad to have them this time around. Um, And Brian Hassett is working on bookings. So that's another aspect covered that I didn't have to do this time. So, you know, it has developed in that sense. I suppose it's not all me, thankfully, (laughs) because I don't think I've been able to do it. Um, But in terms of like the admin side of it and all the background crap that has to be done yeah it does teach you an awful lot like (laughs) definitely you know
0: um you did a really good piece earlier this week for uh the man blog um kind of a song by song breakdown of everything like it's really it's really long i printed it out because uh, we currently don't have internet here at the house, oh, oh so no. I had to print it out in, in work last night, and I was like, "Wow, it's like three pages, almost of like going through the songs." Well, it's it's about two pages. I
1: think I went a bit overboard. Oh, I it think it took it's me forever to do actually. <laughs> and then I look back at other people's, and there were like a few lines. I was like, "Oh no, oh, I'm actually going very deep into this altogether." I love it. <laughs> I think that
0: it ad- like it adds a lot of um a lot of layers to like what you're hearing. And, and it does make you, or it would make me, having read this, it would make me listen more uh, closely to the album. Oh, and be like, true. oh, that's what she's talking about. But there are a couple of things that I wanted to ask you about. The first song, Alchemy, oh, you said that you worked <laughs> out, uh, you kind of worked it out just uh, sitting down with a bottle of gin with, with the lads. Is that kind of like your your favourite way of just working through something?
1: <laughs> no, I wish it was. <laughs> if it was, I'd be like depressed constantly. <laughs> Jin does that to you. Um, no, like, <laughs> I think that happened because I, that was actually, I think it was the last song you see I wrote for the album and I kind of finished it in the middle of that week recording because I had it almost ready to go, like I was saying, I, the bones of it. But the the last bit of tweaking still had to be done and I guess because we were so busy that week recording and stuff it was kind of a bit down to the wire which happens with me sometimes you know but often I think when you're under pressure you end up coming out with something good sometimes but yeah so Davy and Hugh they I think it was I can't remember was the second or third day of recording but we kind of needed a drink anyway so (laughs) we said we'd sit down and finish it and it actually worked it was it was good because I was probably my head was maybe a bit tired to kind of do anything constructive so it was good to have the lads input on on that final bit.
0: And uh, just the influences that you list kind of throughout it are really interesting. Uh, one, two, three. Mm-hmm. You say, uh, I kind of had Mr. Soft from the Trevor Softmintz ad from the 1980s in my head when we were putting this together as a band, thinking, would Mr. Soft bounce to this?
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: Which I think is amazing.
1: <laughs> you no, know, not many
0: people are going to point to Mr. Soft. Um, I don't really remember him, but is he like your, your kind of woody...
1: Um, I just remember that ad when I was a kid, you know, it was kind of black and white, I think. And it was like, oh, Mr. Soft, how come everything around you is so soft and rearranged? (laughs) That was the song. But I forget who wrote that song, but that was in the ad. And Mr. Soft was this kind of marshmallow man that just kind of bounced down the road.
0: (laughs) And so do you think that he would bounce to one, two, three?
1: It might be a bit fast for him, tempo wise. I think if we had like pulled it back a bit, it would have been a good fit for him. I'm not sure at the moment would he. But <laughs> <laughs> um, he might dance to it as opposed to bounce.
0: <laughs> um, when when people are reviewing the album, I guess that they're probably go- not going to point to the in- some of the influences that you say, like uh, the Bee Gees and Celine Dion, as well as mentioned there as well. It's <laughs> like they're almost like guilty pleasures. But is it is it? Are you fine like admitting? Yeah, they their big influence on me.
1: Do you know, I think a few years ago I wouldn't have been because I would have been like, oh, that's really uncool. I can't say that. (laughs) But now I just kind of don't care. Do you know? I think feck it. Like, we all have our guilty pleasures and I just think you can kind of find inspiration in the strangest of places. And I think if you're too worried or too consumed with something sounding cool, then you won't ever really be true to yourself. Like, you know, like, I love that section, that Celine Dion song, because <laughs> it's just really hilariously kind of... Think twice. I don't know, think twice. Yeah, it was a great song when it came out, you know, and I I wouldn't really be a huge Celine Dion fan now, to be fair, but that song was good. Look,
0: <laughs> <laughs> like you can admit, you know. <laughs>
1: I do think the Bee Gees are great, though. Like, the closeness of their harmonies, and they just had some really cool songs. Like, I know they were cheesy and naff, but there were elements of their songs that were really cool.
0: Can you can you hit the high notes that they're able to hit?
1: No, I don't <laughs> think so, unfortunately. No, I, don't, I think there's <laughs> a
0: very small proportion of people who can. Um, you mentioned earlier the support uh, slots that were so important for you. Um, mm-hmm. And you also say uh, in an interview, actually, that, um, you know, you point out that you're just really happy with the people who are going to be supporting you on this tour uh that they're augmenting your gig. Keelan Sherlock, Eva Reddy, Emma Langford and Brian Casey. Yeah. Like is is it kind of nice kind of giving them a leg up sort of thing? Is yeah, that, that's probably uh, not the right way to put it, but
1: Yeah, God, yeah, I don't think I, I I'd say like in fairness <laughs> be I don't think to be supporting Oh God, no. Um in fairness I actually feel really like lucky because I'm a huge Shaker Him fan. Especially, I think they're one of the best bands around. So it's great having Keelan on the gigs because I, I love his songwriting and I love his style and everything and his voice. I, th- I think he's really cool. So um, it's great having him on the gigs and we might even do a song together. Ooh possibly not tomorrow night because we haven't had a chance to meet <laughs> up but maybe for the next gig <laughs> um and Brian I know for years and he's brilliant he's a really really talented guy so and it's lovely to have him on the Bantry gigs we're both from Bantry, so um so that should be a lot of fun and Emma and Alva as well I actually supported Alva over in London um about a month and a half ago and she's flying it she's doing really well so um be cool to have her on the Collins gig as well. She's she's doing great. So,
0: did the lo- did the London gig go better than that time yeah. with <laughs> the hair ground when you went to the folk festival?
1: It the gig itself was good, but there were a few incidents around it. So I thought it'd be a good idea to rent a car because, like, I didn't bring my keyboard over with me because, for one thing, it, you know like I was just flying over to do the gig and it just would have cost a bit more. But for another, it's really heavy, and I couldn't have lifted it on my own. Going through the airport and you know into the city, it's just pain. So I decided to borrow one. Found some a really nice guy who actually um offered to rent me his over there, and that was fine. So his his wife was working in in a place nearby the the venue that we were playing in. So I said, okay, if I rent the car at Stan said, at least I can drive straight there, put the keyboard into that and drive back in the morning, do you know, and there'd be no lugging it around and stuff. And it worked out fine. The car was really handy and I managed to drive around out London and stuff. It was grand. But then we got back and my friend Liz was with me. And about two weeks later, she got like a £200 fine on her credit card because she had booked the car, the car on I don't know what happened. Did I not have my credit card or something on the day? So it went on hers and I had given her the money since for renting it. But she got another £200 fine. So it was like, yeah, we parked in a loading bay collecting the keyboard. And they, yeah, for admin and everything, they charge us £200. So there you go. I think I'm just destined to fail in London. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> no, no, no. You're gonna you're gonna have one story eventually where it's gonna be like everyone and everything went swimmingly, yeah. no incidents, loads of people yeah. came to see us and
1: <laughs> oh. someday. <laughs>
0: uh, I don't think that we've actually mentioned the album title yet. Placemats. What is it? Placemats
1: and Second Cuts.
0: And second cuts. I should really know that by now. <laughs> I have funny. loads of sheets in it's front pretty of Pretty long-winded. Um I thought that it sounded almost like a Tom Waits. Tom Waits title (laughs) or something it sounds sounds very uh I don't know I don't know what the word is but uh yeah maybe it's like after after a load of gin or something (laughs) like that you know um what, what was the kind of idea behind it
1: well um it's actually a line from the the closing track on the album so the the line in the song is we can't be nothing but placemats or second cuts um and I suppose that song is kind of about, like I don't know, not wanting to become a, a bystander in your own life, or kind of, you know, it, it's a bit of a plea to yourself to not do that. And th- the title came from that line. I suppose I just kind of thought it would make a nice title. But that line, like, place or second gusts, I kind of thought, OK, placemats are pretty mundane objects. You put things on them their supports for things you know they're not really a feature object. um second cuts i kind of in my head just had like off cuts of meat or you know things that don't matter you know throw away objects like so that's that's very maybe mightn't be the the, <laughs> the nicest <laughs> title for an <laughs> album <laughs> please mats and second cuts off cuts of meat sounds good sounds
0: good so uh so yeah now you, now you get to do i guess the more exciting stuff than kind of recording and waiting around and everything like that, you get to tour it and everything you're excited about the the year ahead.
1: Yeah, I am actually. Yeah. So like this tour, like there's seven, eight more dates left on it, but then hopefully over the summer, there'll be some festivals and stuff as well. And then there'll be another tour in September, I think September going into October and then some stuff around Christmas again. So like it, it, it kinda has the makings of a, a good year. So I'm looking forward to it like and you know, playing the songs live, they'll probably come into their own a bit more as well and just getting it out there, seeing what happens, see what the feedback is, you know. It's I am looking forward to it. That said, I think writing the songs and recording is actually my favourite part. So I can't wait to do that again.
0: <laughs> Very good. Um mm. and finally you're in the Examiner today, the day that we're recording it, doing the question of taste column. Oh, yeah. There are a couple of, like I was saying before we press record, you know, I think we have a fairly similar taste and stuff. You say, mm-hmm. uh, uh, just watch The Young Offenders. Mm-hmm. Also, just watch The Crown on Netflix yeah. as well, recently enough. Um, did you love The Young Offenders more because it's like, oh, they're going to West Cork?
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in fairness, I think because it's, cool. it's based in Cork, you're constantly seeing these landmarks and yeah. going, oh, cool. Cork is so cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I just thought the story was brilliant too. And like the acting was so good. The lads are great, and, aren't oh, they? Oh, they were great. So yeah, they really got across. I don't know. Like the friendship was brilliant between the two of them. But just the humor was just hilarious as well. Like I, I loved it. Yeah. I think fair play to, to all the people involved in it. They did a great job, you know.
0: I think the, the only thing that I'd be like, well, actually now they cycle down from Cork City. To like deepest West Cork in a day. In like a couple of hours. They stayed
1: overnight, didn't they? In the farmer's house, remember? It's
0: a long cycle.
1: It's still a long cycle, it is, yeah.
0: I was kind of like, well actually. On I a not
1: so great bike. On a not so great
0: bike, you know. But <laughs> You'd be pretty sore afterwards,
1: yeah. to be fair. Yeah.
0: And they glossed over Ross Carberry, where I'm from. I'm like, oh, they should oh, yeah, should have called in. Should have called Aww. up to, to one of the pubs up there. You yeah. know, just had a, had a pint. <laughs> but uh, no, good show. And The Crown. As well, we were saying like uh we kinda of love the Queen now.
1: I know. She's just like when you see her backstory now like I know it was a Netflix production, so <laughs> it's not gospel, but mm, but at the same it time it's it's close enough I'd imagine, yeah. But it kinda makes you like I love the fact that she was such a strong lady, like for her age and the responsibility she had to undertake, it's kinda amazing really. And I loved Philip in it as well, because I'm sure back then his role must have been a very hard one to undertake as well. He kind of almost had to take the back seat. And that wouldn't have been something that would have been very commonplace for a guy to do (laughs) back then, you know.
0: Wow, I don't feel any sympathy for him. I hate him.
1: I know I'm not saying I feel sorry for him. I liked his character though. Yeah. I, I liked that he kind of just kept messing everything <laughs> up. He's a bit I don't know, he's a bit of a tear yeah. or something. Wasn't yeah, I was he?
0: I was talking to someone about him and he was just saying like apparently he was like almost much worse in real life. If oh, anything this this isn't the worst portrayal that, that there's been of him.
1: Okay, right.
0: So yeah, I don't know, I hate him. Like, <laughs> she's <laughs> yeah. a queen, she's your wife. Be nice sir.
1: Yeah, oh, well, yeah, there was a few episodes now, right, where he was just... It's going off being, the weekend, like, yeah, not telling being her. Ass, like, yeah, you can't be doing that.
0: can't yeah. be doing that, she's a queen.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Get your shit together, Phil.
0: I think that that's, yeah, that's probably <laughs> the Netflix show that I'd be, like, I'd most recommend to people, but I'd also, you'd also have to explain it as well. Because...
1: I think so, yeah. A show
0: about the royals, not many Irish people are going to go, that sounds brilliant, I'm going to watch it, you know? You have to be like... It's not just a show about the royals.
1: Yeah, it was somebody at work who recommended it to me. And like I was saying to you, I kind of thought it was going to be a bit of a stuffy drama kind of thing. And I wasn't too sure about it. And then two episodes in, it was brilliant. Like, I loved it. And Narcos is another one that I loved. Oh, yeah. I haven't watched that yet. Oh, it's brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. It's a bit like The Sopranos, though, in that you end up really liking Tony Soprano, even though you know that you shouldn't. You really (laughs) shouldn't because he's not a good person. But you end up just wanting him to win. And like it's extra bad with Narcos because like Pablo Escobar was like a terrible human, but the way they, they make it makes you feel like these shreds of sympathy for him in places and you've to stop yourself going, no, like this is really wrong. But, a, um, the good. the
0: antihero, You mm-hmm. sympathize with the antihero, But the Queen is like, I don't know, is she an antihero? hero To Irish people, I think she might be. <laughs> uh,
1: only to Irish <laughs> Okay, I guess we'll leave it there
0: (laughs) On TV Talk
1: (laughs) Thanks Owen